Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of the Motorsport Ministry, Season 2, Episode 2. Your home for all hot takes, news, and other things revolving around the racing world. So with that, let's just jump straight into the action. And I want to ask you guys a question before we begin. How do you, as an individual or as a group, however you're listening, how do you gauge talent? Like when you hear the word talent, how do you gauge it? How do you determine it? Do you determine it by maybe how smart someone is? Do you determine it by their instinct reaction? Or do you determine it, let's say, more the group around them? Because you see, talent is such a fascinating thing. It's just a fascinating topic to talk about. Because you, it's really so hard to gauge. I mean, is talent even really a thing that exists? Yes, some, you could say someone is better at one thing than another. But is that because they're just naturally gifted? Or they maybe put in a little more work than the others? Like, you never really know. It's so hard to gauge talent. It's such a fascinating topic to discuss. And auto racing is no exception. And it's really fascinating with auto racing because it's so hard to tell how talented someone is compared to someone else. Like, you look at Matt Benedetto, for example, from 2016 to 2019. Everyone's saying that he was one of the most talented drivers in the field. Then you give him some decent equipment, and he's mediocre at best. So was he really talented? Or were people just giving him more credit than he deserves? So let's apply this whole talent discussion to NASCAR. And what I really want to talk about is how much talent weighs in going into this next-gen era. Specifically, obviously, with the next-gen car. Now, as we know with the next-gen car, it has a spec chassis with a lot of other third-party sources that are basically spec. Gone are really the days of where a team builds their own chassis, builds their own parts... It's just now basically you buy equipment and the only thing that really really the team can do is just set it up in a certain way. Because the bodies are determined by the manufacturers, the engines are by the manufacturers, the chassis are now by other manufacturers as well. So gone are those days where the teams can really build their own. It, gone are the, is the uniqueness of NASCAR, at least in the top level. Obviously, it's all having the Xfinity and the truck series. So... By theory, you'd think that equipment won't play as much of a factor as it does in, as it did in years past, right? Because you're like, okay, if Swordhouse Racing is getting the same equipment as, let's say, Aspire Motorsports, then theoretically, everyone should be on the same playing field. So, by that factor, I ask you guys this question. How much... Driver talent is obviously going to play more of a factor with the next-gen car. But how much are we going to talk about that? How much more is driver talent going to matter? And more specifically, as we go in further into this discussion, I'm going to talk about later on, will, will drivers from this era of spec racing, will they be viewed in more of a favorable light as drivers from previous eras? But let's go further into it. I want to talk about the first question. How much more is driver talent going to play into it? So I think the best example is this new era of NASCAR is going to look very similar to the current era of IndyCar racing. Delara builds the chassis, same chassis and body for Honda, same chassis body for Chevrolet. However, the field isn't equal. You saw the same, you saw the same cream of the crop, the Penske's, the Ganassi's, the Andretti's, uprising to the top, compared to like the AJ Foyt's or some of the other smaller teams or the Carlins, they're still relatively at the bottom. And there's a lot of factors that go into this. It's not simple, it's not as simple as just. Oh, you give me the same car, give you the same car, and 
were automatically going to be the same. It's just a matter of who has a better driver. Because there's a lot of arguments that some of those drivers and those lower teams, they're better drivers than some drivers in the top teams. So why are they not beating them? Well, there's a couple factors that play into that. Number one, and this in my opinion, the biggest one, is, well, it's the biggest one in the sense like one that you can actually tell. You can be like, okay, that's kind of obvious is personnel. The top teams are always going to have the best personnel. Whether it's because they could throw more money about money at them or whatever. If you have the best personnel, then... And there's really no cost cap when it comes to having the right amount of personnel. Formula 1 has a cost cap now, about $135, $140 million. But I'm not sure, I don't think that cost cap goes to the personnel. That goes into who they can hire in the sense like how much intelligence they have. The top teams are always going to have the best personnel compared to the smaller teams. Unless the smaller teams can find such a way to you know, to coerce the personnel from taking less money or taking a risk because the top personnel, they're going to want to win, so they're going to take their highest amount of intelligence to somewhere else. And that goes into the second point, which in my opinion is the biggest one. Even though you can't really see it, it's more of a vibe. Culture. Culture, in my opinion, is really what makes the difference between a winning team and a losing team. The NFL talks about culture all the time. You look at the Detroit Lions, you look at Jacksonville, you look at Houston, some of the worst teams in the league, what is the number one thing that all those teams have in common? Bad culture. They have a culture of losing. They have a culture of low self-esteem. So what happens, it brings the morale down. So once you bring the morale down, then not everyone's really going to be on top of their A game when it comes to making personnel decisions, when it comes to playing, when it comes to drafting, anything. Because the morale is so down, because the culture is so bad, it's just going to stay like that. Whereas if you have winning teams like New England, Pittsburgh, Green Bay, yeah, they might have some rough seasons, but you know they're never going to be bad for a long time because the culture that they presented is so well and so good that that morale, that boost, it's like an extra boost that will keep everyone's spirits up so everyone wants to play at their best, everyone wants to perform at their best. I mean, look at Baltimore and Green Bay this year. For I know this is a racing show and I'm talking about football. But I'm just trying to get some context. Look at Green Bay. Look at Baltimore. This season, this previous season, both of them were injured to hell. I believe they and Tennessee. I'll throw Tennessee as an example, even though I'm a Colts fan. Tennessee can go die as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a little. I'm still salty that we got swept, but I'm I'm deviating from it. These teams were injured and battered to hell. You might as well have started someone living in the street to play for the team. But their culture is so good. The morale is so high that even with backups and backups to backups, the team still performs at their best. The team still is always at their A game. And look at what happened. Baltimore, besides the last three or four or five games, besides the last month, month and a half, they were in contention for the number one seed in the AFC. Tennessee won the number one seed in the AFC. And Green Bay, they won the number one seed in the NFC. Whatever happened to playoffs happened, but during the regular season, while they were battered and injured to hell, it meant nothing to them. They're like, okay, we're going to go out. We're the best. We're going to do this. And that's the results that they got because the culture is so high. And the same thing applies to NASCAR also. I guarantee you, if you look at the culture of Rick Weir Racing, if you, look at the, if you looked at the culture of Starcom, or if you looked at the culture of another lower team, it's going to be a lot lower self-esteem than the culture of, let's say, a top team like Joe Gibbs or Hendrick. And the number one way you can really tell about it is the amount of excuses that the team gives. What do they say? Oh, we don't have as much money as the big team. Oh, 
you know, some other excuse or whatever, you know, don't get me wrong. What they're saying is true. They don't have as much money as the big team, so obviously they're going to perform a lot less. But if they keep that – you can't have that mindset, in my opinion, especially as an owner, where it's just we don't have as much money, therefore everything that the big teams have is because of money. Because you start developing that mentality and then your morals going to go down and therefore the culture is just going to get really bad. The big teams, they have that winning culture. I mean, look at teams like Hendrick, Joe Gibbs Racing, Storehouse Racing, for example. These are teams that once they started up, they had a culture. They're like, we're going to go out, we're going to win everything. And look at what these teams have come, look at what those teams have made it to today. Yeah, these teams have been around for 30 plus years, but it's because of that culture that they initially built from the foundation that they were allowed to have that culture and that's what propelled them to the top. Everyone's in a good mood. Everyone's in a high morale. And that's how they're able to win races. That's how they're able to bring in the best personnel to where they can win races and compete for championships. So how much of the driver talent is going to come into it? Like I said, it's going to be like IndyCar. Where the best is always going to be the best. And lower teams will have a better shot at getting up to the top. But it's going to be relatively the same. I mean, Colleague, in my opinion, is a good example. They're a brand spanking new team. You know, this is their first full season in the Cup Series, but they've developed, they've made the baseline, the foundation, a fantastic culture, a culture where everybody wants to come to. Everyone wants to work for Colleague, and you're seeing it. They won their first race in the Cup Series last year with A.J. Allmendinger. They were competitive during the clash a couple days ago with Justin Haley because of that culture. You never have, when you look at Colleague, you don't think of, oh, it's a small team. I hope they do well. You think, damn. These guys can go on and win with the best of them. And that has a lot to do with culture and vibe of the team. So my opinion, as long as a team has a certain type of culture, unless they change that culture, I don't think driver talent is going to play that much into how different it is from last year to this year. You might have a couple, you might have, let's say, for example, RCR winning maybe a few more races or Roush being a little more competitive. But in my opinion, until the, I believe it's one reason why Roush also brought in Brad Kozlowski. Because he's a winning driver, he's going to bring change to the culture of Roush Fenway Racing, which for the culture for a lot of this decade was pretty bad. For the past, especially from 2015 onward, Roush Fenway, I guarantee you walk in that building, everyone's morale is low, everyone doesn't think they can win. It's a pretty bad environment. But here comes Brad Kozlowski. I feel like one of the reasons he was brought into that organization was to change the culture. And once he changes that culture, I think that team is going to go way above what they can pull. Because they're also kind of a forward development team. I mean, they got Roush. Roush builds the engines. They have such a close connection with Ford. You build that culture, that team is going to go somewhere. But to answer the first question, I don't think it's going to play that much of a factor as it has in years past. But it is going to play a little bit more of a factor. Like maybe 10 to 20% more of a factor than it does, let's say, last year. So here's my second question for you guys is, if... Let's say, hypothetically speaking, the next gen is so equal to where driver talent is so much, is put on such a bigger display than previous years. My question is, will drivers from this era of spec racing be viewed in a higher regard in the sports history? And what I mean by that is, I'm going to give kind of an extreme scenario, but will some drivers, let's say if Kyle Larson or Chase Elliott dominate this era of NASCAR, 
because the spec car is basically supposed to bring out more of the talent and the drivers and less of the engineering side. Will they be viewed in more of a favored, in a higher regard, talent-wise, than someone like a Richard Petty or a Dale Earnhardt Sr.? I mean, people already put Petty's equipment during that era against him. The guys won 200 races, seven championships, done things that no one will do in the history of the sport. And people still put that against him, the equipment argument against him. So what I'm saying is with this next-gen car, could we see that happen but in a much broader scale? Like, could we see a Kyle Larson who dominates this era be viewed in a higher regard as a Dale Sr. if they have the same stats or close to the same stat? Or hell, even maybe sooner like a Jimmy Johnson. Could three championships in this era be viewed more favorably as seven in the years past because you're focused more so on driver talent than anything else? Well, let's answer this question. Because this is a question I thought about, you know, a couple days ago, and... I think it's fascinating. I think it's a fascinating thing to discuss. So when you look at driver talent, here's another question I'm going to ask. And this is going to play into the second question. How do you gauge driver talent? I'm going to tell you how I gauge driver talent. I'll look at one driver or a few drivers. And you can ask anyone who knows me. And I'll tell them I put a bunch of drivers in the same car, in the same field, and I just, for example, Jimmy Johnson, David Pearson, Dale Sr., Jeff Gordon, Richard Petty. I'm going to put them all on the same track with the same car, and I'm going to see who is going to be who in the race, just flat out, assuming they have the exact same car. I think Richard Petty would finish last. I mean, David Pearson, he's the best example to the argument against Richard Petty, he ran only, I believe, about 500-something races. He won 100 of them. And he won three championships, and he beat Petty more times than not. I will put Gordon and Earnhardt first because you can just see the, p- the pure driving talent out of those drivers. No matter what kind of equipment they had, no matter if they were in the worst car or the best car, they were always going to be competitive. They were always going to be top five, top ten threats no matter what. So I would always put Gordon and Earnhardt ahead of everyone else by uh, by a mile, might I add. I think those are two of the most talented drivers in NASCAR history. Who do I think is better than who? It really depends on my day. Sometimes I think it's Gordon. Sometimes I think it's Earnhardt. I lean a little more towards Dale Earnhardt just because his aggression, I think, lends itself better to stock car racing. But that goes into the second question. How do you gauge driver talent? Do you gauge it off of instinct? Do you gauge it off of out outperforming their equipment. Top 10 in the BK car when a BK car should really be lucky enough to finish the race. How do you gauge that talent? I've already told you how I gauge it. How do you gauge it? So going off of that, I don't think that we're ever going to get to a point with the next-gen car where the previous era of drivers, their legacy is going to get tarnished because of this new era. Because like I said before, you put, let's say, for example, you put Kyle Larson in the same car as a Dale Earnhardt, as a Jeff Gordon, as a Chase Elliott. Those four in the field. Who do you genuinely think is going to win that race? And I'm not talking about equipment. I'm talking about pure, natural driving talent. How many people are going to say Kyle Larson? 
don't get me wrong, Kyle Larson is arguably top five driver in the world right now, but you're going to put him against a prime Jeff Gordon, against a prime Dale Sr.? Like, let me put it this way. You could, it's like, it's a vibe thing when it comes to drivers. You can tell who really has that it factor. And I'm talking about race car drivers as a whole. Like Jeff Gordon, Dale Sr., Kyle Larson, I'll put them as the greatest race car drivers in the world. Jimmy Johnson, I'll put him as one of the greatest NASCAR drivers of all time. Not necessarily one of the greatest race car drivers of all time. Same thing with Lewis Hamilton. I'll put him as one of the greatest Formula One drivers, but I'm never going to put him as one of the greatest race car drivers. Again, that also goes into the fact that I need to see them in a different series before I can determine. Jimmy Johnson, yeah, he's raced in the car, but he's done next to nothing besides crash every week. So, I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where the different era of drivers is going to be tarnished by this new era. Because, yeah, while spec racing, yeah, driver talent should be more placed on display, there's still too many other factors. And the biggest thing is, you can't co- you really can't compare one era to another. Like, you're not going to be able to compare this new era of spec Gen 7 racing to even the Gen 6. Because so much is different. The, the, the whole car is different. The whole concept of a race car is different than it was with the Gen 6. There's too many different factors to where you really can't compare one era to another. That's why I kind of go off that mindset of if I put this guy against this guy, against this guy, against this guy, who do I think is just going to go out flat out win? That's when you look at technique. That's when you look at how a driver behaves under pressure. And that's how you can really tell who is one of the greatest drivers. And you have that in every era of racing. Petty mastered that. That's why he dominated his era. Gordon and Earnhardt mastered that. That's why they dominated theirs. Larson's mastering that. That's why he dominated last year. And he looks to dominate this era as well. Johnson did the same thing. So there's always those little factors that you're going to be able to notice to where you can see that guy's going to go out and do something. So to answer the second question, do I think that this next gen is going to favor driver talent to the point where the previous era is forgotten about? I don't think so. Spec racing is really an interesting topic in auto racing. You'll have one side that is saying that auto racing should honestly be more about the car than the driver because without auto racing, we wouldn't have many innovations of the automobiles we do today. Well, on the other hand, you're like, this is a sport, this is entertainment, the drivers are the star, that's what drives the sales, that's what drives the merchandise, that's what keeps the sport afloat. And that's one thing that makes racing such an interesting such an interesting bubble compared to the other types of sports. The different factors, you know, talent versus machine, man versus machine. What do you favor more? And that goes to you as a racing fan. Personally, me, I'm more on the side that I'd rather see what the drivers can do just because, yeah, while it's also while it's very fascinating to see what some teams could cook up in terms of equipment-wise, I always find it more fascinating is how what can a driver do with said equipment. If a driver can't do anything with the equipment, then the equipment means nothing. But if you have a top-level driver who can take that equipment to new heights, can in a way really reinvigorate what those teams need to do and push those teams harder to create new equipment, they'll do that based on the kind of driver that they have. You look at Formula 1 and Max Verstappen, for example. Verstappen is such a unique driving style that Red Bull made a whole car based just around that. The machine 
is ba- it's gone to the point now where it's not the driver driving the machine. It's the machine that's based on the driver. So spec racing, I'm not the biggest fan of it because, again, I do I would like to see a little more innovation, but I do prefer seeing driver talent on skill more so than a what can the team cook up. Even though I still find it very fascinating to see what a team can do, I still get in awe. But I do think that spec racing it will bring out the it will bring out more talent that we've seen in years past, and it's going to be fascinating to see how much we see it. What is this next era of NASCAR going to look like? Is it going to look like IndyCar racing today? Is it going to look maybe like Formula One? Is it going to look completely different? Is it going to look exactly the same? We don't know. We got to wait to see, and we're not going to see really for the next couple of years. Maybe we have to wait two or three years before we really to see see what this kind of racing is going to look like. And I can't wait to find out what this next-gen era of NASCAR is going to look like, and I hope you guys can't wait as well. Speaking of next-gen era, we just finished up with the Clash, but we know that the season really starts at the high banks of Daytona. The Daytona 500 is coming up in about a week and a half, two weeks' time. So while we got some time to prepare to look, I'm going to give a little preview of this year's Daytona 500, Let's take a look at the storylines for the 64th running of the Great American Race. And to me, there's really three main storylines that stick out. Number one is the next-gen car. Brand spanking new car, new pieces, new everything. This is a car unlike we've never seen before. Even more so than the car tomorrow when it debuted back in 2007. We got sequential shifting, five gears instead of four, new types of rims, new types of tires, the diffuser... So many different elements going to the next-gen car. How is it going to race? How is it going to keep the drivers protected? Will we see a boring Daytona 500 because of it? We don't know. The next one is going to be silly season. Now, silly season, in my opinion, I believe 2021 was a little better than 2022, but we still had a lot of interesting storylines. Brad Keselowski to Roush Fenway, now RFK Racing. Harrison Burton to the 21 machine. Todd Gillen in the 38. 2311 expanding, bringing in Kurt Busch, Ganassi closing down, Ross Chastain going to a second track I've seen that bought out Chip Ganassi. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So there's a lot of storylines. Can Roush get back on top of Brad Kozlowski, former champion? Can Kurt Busch help a brand new 2311 racing team as a veteran presence? Uh, what is Trackhouse going to do now that they've expanded? Are they going to perform like a Ganassi or are they still going to kind of be around middle of the pack? And number three is going to be, kind of goes in with number one, is is the part shortage, how is that going to affect the racing? You know, we've had obviously a part shortage in NASCAR with the next-gen car. So the kind of the consensus is teams are going to down, are going to play it back. They're going to not go as hard. They're not going to be as aggressive because they don't want to risk, you know, losing these precious parts because not a lot of them exist. So what kind of racing are we going to see at Daytona? Are we going to see still an aggressive race? Are we still going to have are we still going to have three two wide action? Or is it going to be like last year's race where everyone is single file, everyone's just going to take care of the equipment and really not do anything until the final lap or really until the half of the final lap of the race? These are storylines that we need to look out for once we hit the banks of Daytona on February 20th. As for my prediction of who's going to win the Daytona 500, I'm going to go with Kurt Busch. 
the slower speeds, in my opinion, as we've seen at Daytona, they're around 180, 190 in a pack. That's very similar to the packages that we had in the early 2000s with the Gen 4 car. Kurt Busch, obviously, he's racing that, those cars, and he was very good with that type of equipment back in his Roush days in the early 2000s. I think 2311 has good super speedway packages. I also think that's a lot due to Bubba Wallace being a good super speedway racer. But Bubba's obviously going to transfer that talent to Kurt Busch, as Kurt Busch should be doing with Bubba Wallace. So I think with all those factors, my prediction to win the Daytona 500, I got Kurt Busch in the brand new 2311 number 45 Monster Energy Toyota. I think that he is going to win the Daytona 500. And with that... Those are my three storylines to look out for going into this year's Daytona 500. All right, to wrap up the show here, this is a segment that I've been very much, I've been very much looking forward to this segment. We're going to do something now for the rest of the year. We're going to do something called Best Bets of the Week or Best Bets of the Weekend. What I'm going to do is I'm going to present whatever race is coming up. I'm going to look up the bet, the bets, you know, what the numbers are. And give you guys what, in my opinion, is the best bet to take over that race. That doesn't necessarily mean who I think is going to win the race. I just think that this is the best bet to take if you're a better or a gambler. I'm not a financial advisor, by the way. So do not take my advice if you're going to bet. This is just what I think are going to be the best bets to place on if you want to bet on this race. So for this special occasion for the Daytona 500, I'll probably do it for the Indianapolis 500 also. I'm going to give you guys, usually I would give you one, and I would elaborate on that one, especially because there's multiple races in one weekend. I'm going to give you the three best bets that I think are that you guys should take when it comes to the Daytona 500. And by the way, these bets are from actionnetwork.com, or where I found these bets for the Daytona 500 betting odds for 2022. So, first of all, the driver with the best odds is Denny Hamlin at plus 1,000 to win the Daytona 500. He will not be on this list. The driver with the worst amount, with the lowest bet, or the highest bet, is Cody Ware at plus 200,000. He will also not be on this list. The three drivers I have on my list, who in my opinion are the best bets to take for the week, number one is Kevin Harvick at plus 1,800. The fact that Kevin Harvick is below some drivers kind of boggles my mind. I mean, Bubba Wallace is ahead of him. Alex Bowman's ahead of Kevin Harvick. William Byron's ahead of Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick is always a threat to win the Daytona 500. He's always a top five threat. He honestly should be in the top five when it comes to bets, but the fact that he isn't baffles me. I mean, I already see here, he's not even in the top 10. And by the way, I think I only have one or two, one driver that's in the top 10. And that driver is Brad Keselowski. He's my second bet of best bet of the week at plus 1,600. Brad Keselowski is always a good plate racer. Yes, Roush is a new team. It's You could say it's an up-and-coming team because of where they've been the past couple years, but they've always had super speedway speed. Brad Keselowski is a top two super speedway racer in the field right now. Plus 1,600 I think is a fantastic bet to place on if you want to place a bet for the Daytona 500. And the last driver, who I'm going to call this driver my long shot prediction, Chris Buescher at plus 3,000, I think, is a fantastic bet to place on if you're a better. Chris Buescher, he is, again, another driver who's sneakily good at the Daytona 500. He finished third in 2020. He's always been up front at these super speedway races. If he could keep it out of the wall, if he could keep it clean, I think Chris Buescher has a fantastic shot to winning the Daytona 500. 
So with that being said, my top three bets are Kevin Harvick at plus 1,800, Brad Keselowski is plus 1,600, and Chris Buescher at plus 3,000. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Motorsport Ministry. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to listen to more episodes of the show, you can look on Spotify. Just search up the Motorsport Ministry. We have our entire catalog of all previous episodes. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next time.